we've been focusing on just a very, very simple equation that is, um, it's, it's simple yet it's profound. Grace is greater than. A and you see it on the logo that's behind me, the logo for our whole entire series. Grace is greater than our guilt. Grace is greater than our brokenness. Grace is greater than <coughs> our wounds. Grace is greater than our losses. Yes, Dodger fans, even the losses that you experienced this last week. Yes, grace is greater. Grace is great. Do not applaud that. Do not applaud that. Oh, all right. Okay. That's all right. You have your day. You have your day. Grace is greater than our pasts. Grace is greater than whatever. And today the equation is grace is greater than our weaknesses. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 shows us that Paul is going to tell the church in Corinth not to celebrate in strength, not to celebrate in accomplishments, but to celebrate in the weaknesses that you have. Because when we are weak, that gives God space to bring in his grace, and it gives God a chance to show up. And as we like to say, it allows God to show up and show off in your life. That's what our weaknesses can do and allow God to do. I I've said this for years, that really our full potential is never known until we try something in life that we could not succeed in on our own. That it is only a God thing. A little bit like parachuting out of an airplane with a parachute on. Now, that would be absolutely stupid. But, but for God to show up in the midst, maybe to step out of that airplane and say, God, I'm not sure how this is going to go. This has to be a God thing for this to succeed. It is up to you. That allows God to step in and his grace to come in. I mean, you look at this building. You look at the capital campaign that we have had. Um, I'll be talking about this in a few weeks from now. But we've had a wonderful, wonderful 2020 campaign that has allowed us to pay down the debt on our building, to be able to buy and purchase this property, and now to continue to pay for that. I, I bring that up because many of you have finished your contributions to that, and you've asked me, should we continue to give? I say, yes, we do absolutely still have a debt. Debt. But to think about in this campaign, we're able to do over and above what all of you committed to it and bring in about another million dollars into allowing us to purchase and renovate and have this auditorium uh, is just a God-sized thing. That's when God shows up. When we come to the end of ourselves and say, God, you need to be the one to bring it about. I, I think about the elections that are going to take place on Tuesday. First of all, get out and vote. Vote your values. Vote your godly values. Vote in candidates that would approve of God's word and want to follow God's word. But we say, God, that is up to you. Ultimately, we will do our part, but it is really you who needs to take the step and place those people in the, into uh, office. And then we just sit back and say, God, you're in charge. You are in control. And that's what, really, our weaknesses allow God to step up and step in and to show off and to show up. Um, see, at Corinth, Corinth, Corinthians, the people of Corinth, they knew their city was something special. See, when Paul wrote this letter, he was writing to a, a, a city that was kind of a destination city, a little bit like New York or Chicago or um, uh, Los Angeles, uh, where you experience culture. 
where there was luxurious lifestyle, uh, impressive architecture, elite socialites, extravagant buildings. In fact, when you talk about a Corinthian column, it's a column a little bit like this. It's going to be up on the screen. Oops, it's right there behind me. Um, uh, and you'll see those around, and people refer to those as Corinthian columns. They're a little bit more ornate. The, the Corinthians kind of had a value on strength and education and accomplishments. And somewhere between the first letter to the Corinthians and the second letter to the Corinthians, some false teachers came into the church, and they were trying to win people on strength. They began to say, oh, look at what I've done. They began to say, look at my accomplishments. And Paul knew that if that was the direction it was going to go, then that would be leaving out God. And it's no wonder that the word for Corinthian really became known as someone who is rotten to the core. Not physically, perhaps. Not in the world's accomplishments but morally and spiritually decrepit. And so keep your finger in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, but look at your outline. And I want to read to you the beginning of the first letter that Paul wrote. In fact, it's out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. It's on your outline. You can also read it up here on the screen. How about we read this together, okay? This is what Paul was first planting this idea about our status in Christ. Read this with me. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. It goes on to say this. The next uh, slide there, Matt. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. See, what Paul is saying here, he's saying, you know what? We're not created to be the ones to get the glory. Don't boast about your own abilities and talents. That's a God thing. And if you want to play the strength game, all right, let me play the strength game with you. Look at what I could boast about. And that's where I want to pick up the passage that I referred you to, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21. Let me pick it up right there where it says this. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, and then he says, I am a fool to even say this, because spiritually this makes no sense, but okay, I'll talk worldly for a second here. He says, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I, now he says, okay, I'm out of my mind. I'm talking like a madman here. This is foolishness. But he says, um, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Paul says, you, you want to talk about some accomplishments. I can talk about some accomplishments. He's saying my background, my heritage, my passion, my zeal, it's all very impressive. Anybody wants to brag on these kind of things, they've got nothing on me. In fact, he goes on. And he says it in chapter 12. Skip down to chapter 12. He says, all right, let me, let me go on boasting. He says, um, though there is nothing to be gained by it, 
I will go uh, to, on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Now, just to give you a little background on this, we're going to see this is actually Paul. He's talking about himself, but he's kind of doing it kind of coyly. Uh, uh, coyly. He's, like, he's like, okay, I don't want to brag about this, but if you want to brag, let me, let, me, let me share with you what, what, what happened to me. He says, 14 years ago I was caught up in the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except for my, what, First Baptist? Except for my weaknesses. Again, you know, he's saying, I could do all this 14 years ago, and I haven't even talked about it. I could boast in that way. But can I just be honest with you, First Baptist? If I was caught up in a vision into the third heaven, you will be hearing about it next weekend. All right? Let, let, me, ju- let me just say that. The title of my message was be how I was caught up into the third heaven. I'd be Instagramming that thing, hashtag no filters. You would hear about it. Um, I would make a big deal about it. I would probably write a book, the third heaven, thoughts on why God chose me and not you, right, right, to go up into the third heaven. Man, I would work it into every conversation that we had Right? How's the weather? Oh, a little bit like it was in the third heaven. Oh, but you don't know about that, right? Right? I mean, it would all be coming out. When I would be introduced, it would be, here's Pastor Brad from the third heaven. You know, it would, it would come more and more and more. I would probably boast about it. But 14 years. And Paul says, I haven't gone there. I could have, but I have not gone there. Why? Because Paul is trying to be humble. And he's trying to say, okay, it's not about me. In fact, later on in his writing, he calls himself a slave. A slave to Christ. Whatever Christ wants me to do is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give up my ownership. I'm going to give up my being. I'm not living for myself. I'm living for Christ. He reminds the Corinthians, though, here. He says, I've got the resume. I've got the credentials. I was educated even under one of the most brightest minds, Gamaliel. I, I, I have got it going on. But now watch this. And this is the crux of where he's going. To, uh, chapter 12, verse 7 through 9. Here's what he says. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this and that it should leave me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Now watch this, for in my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. See, we all have those kind of weaknesses in our lives. We all have those thorns in the flesh in our lives. Maybe it's a a weakness that you know you have. Maybe it's something that you've begged God to change for years Maybe it's to heal you of something. Maybe it's to something that he would take away, but he has not done that. 
works. And so in verse 9, Paul looks at it like this. He says, again, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now watch what he goes on to say. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my what? My weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am, then I'm strong. And that's the mystery of the gospel. Jesus came to fill up the places that we need filled up, not with our own mighty uh, uh, power, but God with your power. Paul's saying, okay, I will celebrate it because it makes God's grace all that much more abundant. His grace is sufficient. His grace is more than enough. Your grace is enough. We've sang that song many times here. Your grace is enough. God, for whatever situation I'm going through, your grace, your grace is enough. On the backside of your outline, let me give you three things, three points of where God's grace is greater than our weaknesses. First one is this. God's grace is greater than our infirmities. The, the, the sickness that we may have, the weakness that we have in that. See, the thorn in the flesh isn't just a splinter or kind of a, uh, a rosebud type of thorn. This word from the Greek could be translated a stake or a spear. I mean, it's not just this little thorn or it's not just this annoying itch that we might have or that we can't get to. It is greater than that. And so God says it's better if you're weak. Because then there is space for me to demonstrate my strength, letting God show up and show off. And, you know, some people have asked, okay, well, well what is this thorn in the flesh that Paul has going on here? Um, le let me give you some thoughts on that. Uh, some commentators have said uh, they believe it's a specific temptation. I, I happen not to believe that because the word for flesh here seems to imply that it's much more physical in nature. And so some people have thought maybe it's a deformity that Paul has had. In fact, one time he talks about you know, being a little hard to look upon him. And I would say maybe this deformity, if it is that, has even come about since he became a Christian. I mean, you can't take all those beatings and those stonings and being whipped and all that he was without having your body kind of mutilated and, and changed. And so maybe it's a deformity that, that, that he's not pleasant to look at any longer. Uh, maybe it was that he was an epileptic. Some people think that he had epilepsy and uh, would have these convulsions. And back in this day, when people would have those convulsions and rolling on the ground, um, people thought that you should spit on the person who was doing that because that there was a demon inside of that person. Now, do not ask me why you should spit on them. I, I have no idea why it went that way, but people thought so. And, and there's a passage in Galatians where Paul actually talks about, thank you for not treating me in that type of a way. So could it be something like that? Possibly. May, maybe it was his eyesight. People believe that he had poor eyesight. We see in the book of Galatians, I think it's in chapter 6, where he says, I'm writing in my own handwriting with large letters because he can't see. So maybe this thorn in the flesh was eyesight that limited his physical ability to do what he wanted to do. Maybe it was migraine headaches. Maybe it was a speech impediment. Maybe it was stomach issues. We see hints of that all throughout Scripture. The point is we 
really don't know what that thorn in the flesh was. You say, well, why not? Pastor Brett, I'm kind of curious about that. Why, why did he not write that out? Well, God's Holy Spirit just didn't want that to come about. I'll tell you why. A couple reasons. I think one is that, again, Paul didn't want it to be about him. So he's not trying to highlight a specific, you know, weakness that he has. Um, and the main reason I believe that is because if he mentioned his weakness specifically, we probably all would be judging and comparing ourselves to him, wouldn't we? Well, Paul had this, and he writes about that, and it seems so big. Yeah, that's little. Come on, Paul, what's up with that? Right? We go there. That's what we do. We compare. And so Paul leaves it blank. The Holy Spirit leaves it blank. He allows us to fill in the gap with whatever you are going through. Because if you're going through it, it's significant to you. That's your thorn in the flesh. And that's okay. Because God says that with this thorn in the flesh, my grace is sufficient for you. Even in your infirmities, whatever you are going through right now, physical ailments, God's grace is sufficient for you. Let me give you a second area that's sufficient. It's that God's grace is greater than our insecurities. Our insecurities. And specifically here, I'm talking about perhaps our family failures. Maybe our past. Maybe our family history. Um, boy, things that cut down to the core of us can come from the people who we live with the most, love the most, um, are our family failures. Look, here at First Baptist, one of my huge desires before I even became senior pastor here at First Baptist was that what we talked about on Sunday morning would not just stay on Sunday morning, but it would go to every area of our lives, whether it be in our workplaces, whether it be with our families, whether it be in our home lives, whether it be in our social lives, whatever it is. And family is one of those that we really want to help build up, whether it be a marriage or whether you're a single parent. If you have children, you have kids in your home, your families, we want to help encourage those types of things. And so I'm going to ask Beth Lambden. Is Beth right here? Beth, Beth. There's Beth. Come on. Hey, First Baptist, would you help me welcome Beth to the stage? Thank you. Welcome. In your bulletin, you see uh, this announcement on the bottom of the announcement page. It talks about Inspire Ministries, which we support here in our church budget at First Baptist. And on Saturday, November 17th, in about two weeks, we are going to do what's called Treasured Traditions. Uh, Beth and Dan Lambden um, have been great friends of the ministry here at First Baptist Church. Uh, started Jim Elliott Christian High School up in Lodi. Um, and uh, God's hand has been upon that school for many, many years. Um, and one of the things, though, that Beth and Dan do is take families through Treasured Traditions Conference. And so we have them coming in two weeks. You're going to want to hear about this, whether you have kids in the home, grandkids that you influence. Um, so, Beth, would you share with us just a little bit about what you and Dan are going to do on that day? Okay, well, we are super excited to be here. We, we just want to thank um, Pastor Brad and the staff for allowing us to come in and present this seminar when he was just sharing about the importance of families and bringing your faith home into your everyday life, mm -hmm. I, I, it just makes me so excited because that is the key to raising up the next generation of mm -hmm. believers to serve the Lord. Is that It can't just be here in church. It can't be just in Sunday school. It has to be in your homes mm -hmm. every single day. And I will tell you that I was blessed to be raised in a home 
where my parents did this. It wasn't just Sunday mornings. They brought their faith into our home every day with different things. You know, we talk about traditions. Really, we all have traditions. You know, just sitting around the table for dinner is a tradition. Uh, But my parents were very specific about building faith traditions and very, very specific about building them around the holidays. Uh, My mom said it was her goal that, you know, we would not be able to, any holiday year-round, all year, that we would hit would remind us of Jesus. We wouldn't be able to get away from it. And she basically said, that's how I'm going to get you to serve the Lord your whole life, is that you're just going to, everywhere you turn, you can't get away from it. You can run, but you can't hide. (laughs) Um, So I'm I'm happy to tell you that it worked. Um, They raised four children who are all, um, serving the Lord, actually all in some type of ministry uh, today. And a lot of it was, I, you know, I hate to say it, but I can't remember a sermon that was preached when I was growing up in church. That's right, I can't <laughs> Not either. one. Right. But I remember what we did in our home. Mm-hmm. And I specifically remember, especially this holiday season we're in right now, uh, from, and my mom made the holiday season start November 1st, not by decorating for Christmas, but by doing some of these things that I'm going to share at the seminar. So you have to come there to learn about them. But I Sometimes when I share that story of being raised like that, people will say, uh, well, that's great, Beth. You, you had that experience, and so it's been easy for you to reproduce that with your family. And I will say, yes, guilty as charged. It has been easier for me to do that. I still had to make that decision to do that, but it has been easier. But let me just share you one generation back. Mm-hmm. My parents were both raised in very dysfunctional, unbelieving homes that didn't go to church. They both came to know the Lord as young people, and when they got married, they said, we're going to do it differently. We want to, we want to, and they had no idea how to do it. There was nothing. They had nothing to pull from. They had, but my mom went to seminars like this. She read books. She did everything she could to say, I'm going to provide my family with solid faith-infusing traditions, and that's, that's going to be our, that was their whole parenting plan, (laughs) was those faith traditions, and so if you're sitting here, you know, we're talking about, you know, God being faithful and, and, and grace in our insecurities and our weaknesses. If you're sitting here and you think, you know, I can't do that, you need to come to this seminar because you can do it. And if you're already a little creative and doing some great things, you can come and get extra amazing things uh, to add to those because we're constantly building ourselves on what uh, that we want to do to impact that next generation for the Lord. So share with us how kind of in, uh, putting those traditions into place, how that's impacted your family. Okay, so, and it has, so it's, it's gone to that next generation, and I will just share with you, actually I'm sitting here looking and going, ah, I know, I know quite a few of you out there uh, in this congregation today, so some of you, this won't shock, others might go, whoa, um, I have been blessed with 10 children, so. <laughs> that's that's full two hands right there, huh? <laughs> yeah. Ten, a full, yes. Um, That's a full quiver. Right. I only birthed seven of them, so, you know, if you think she looks really good for having ten kids, you know, you can just go, oh, she only had seven. That's seven more than <laughs> I birthed, so, <laughs> so you're good. You're good. Uh, so we began, my husband and I, who will be out, he might be here, but he'll be out in the lobby for sure sharing uh, if you want to sign up for the seminar. But we decided, too, that we wanted to raise our children with these same faith traditions and even add to them. Uh, there were a lot of things that, w- that my parents didn't do that we said, you know, we really want to add this to our repertoire. So we were constantly, because of having 10 kids, we were constantly learning and growing and adding new things. And one of the things that I've really learned is that when it 
comes to, you know, you're gonna, you can see the list that we had up there of Thanksgiving and decorations and Christmas trees and all these things that you can infuse your faith into. Sometimes it gets overwhelming. And my philosophy, because I had to get over it, I have 10 kids, done is better than perfect. And so <laughs> I think that because I didn't get wrapped up in it looking perfect and just absolutely doing it and doing something, that my children really benefited uh, from having a full breadth of family traditions all year long and some wonderful traditions. My kids are actually here today, so they'll be at the table, and they're actually in here right now because they must have wanted to hear mom speak. And, yes, we all match because that's my thing. <laughs> so I see them over there looking at me. Uh, but they, when I said to them this morning as we were coming to set up, we're going to go talk about traditions and what are your favorite traditions? And the inf the enthusiasm. And my son in the back is like, oh, I love it when we go get our Christmas tree. And, you know, it's a whole big thing. And then we come back and we re read the tale of three trees and talk about God. All, all of the enthusiasm and fun. Because it's not about putting the Lord in and make it a drug. <laughs> it's about putting the Lord in and making it the most exciting thing that they have ever imagined so that they want to continue to do it. Because Jesus Christ is is it. He is the most amazing, wonderful, Absolutely. exciting thing Absolutely. that we have in this life. Absolutely. And so we want to, and, and that's the other thing that my mom gifted me, is she made it fun. I, I sat in a church that was a little dull, and uh, I won't tell you what denomination, <laughs> but it wasn't too exciting, and she made Jesus fun. That's great. And I'm so thankful for that. So you already have a few kids who have kind of flown the coop. I do. Uh, and, I'm and only down to three. They're starting <laughs> to do some of these things as well, right? Yes. Can, tell us how you've been doing this, yes. but now tell us what's been going on in their lives. That probably, pr probably truly the greatest joy of all of this has been watching my children grow up and go out. My, my oldest that I raised from birth is 29, and she left home 10 years ago. She's been in New York City for 10 years. And... Every single one that has left home, especially their first couple years in college, they will send, well, back in the day they called me, now they're texting me, and they'll say, Mom, this, this is so great, or what I miss most about being home is all the traditions, and, and they even, like, you know, FaceTime in to be involved in them, mm. but, but it, they are impacting their community as well. They are in college. I'm going to read you a text I got um, last night from my sophomore in college who's in Oregon, Oregon and Grace said, I didn't realize, Mom, how much our family traditions impacted me until I went to college. I started to miss even the smallest of traditions, but the best thing is now I get to do these traditions with my friends here at college, share my faith, and bring a little bit of home to me. And I thought that was just perfect timing, but really wonderful um, image of she is, without kids, as a single college student, infusing faith into her college dorm and into her friends there at college because traditions are something that are easy to share and to be open, and people will open up and talk to you about Christ. And all of my kids have had that same experience. And I will say to you, now two of my children have come into my life as, a, as adults. Um, yeah, you can actually adopt an adult too. So we adopted a 23-year-old. She came into our life at 21, and she just recently got married. And she is starting to implement traditions, and she didn't grow up with them. She just had a, a really a short four years with us. So it's never too late to start with your kids. Don't think, oh, my kids are 17. You know, I missed the window. Oh, well, maybe, you know, I can, you know, influence somebody else. But 
You haven't. You've never lost the window. And if you're out here and you're thinking my kids are all grown up and maybe, you know, you have a few grandkids. Grandparents are amazing. And they can influence their grandkids. You can have your own little faith tradition with your grandkids. Or if your children are raising kids and they're serving the Lord but they're having a hard time staying on top of everything, say, hey, you know what? I'll take over this tradition for you and I'll come in and set it up for you and we'll do it all together. You can be an inspiration, an encouragement to those children and to those grandchildren. And my own mom at, you know, 80 years old is still giving me new ideas on traditions that we can begin to implement. So it's, it's really, this seminar is really for everyone, no, no matter what age or stage uh, you are in life, whether you're single, grandparents, you have a boatload of kids. Anybody else have 10 kids out there? You can go out to lunch afterwards. You're on your own on that one. Okay. <laughs> I have some available if you'd like some. Not of mine. I have other people's <laughs> kids. So, uh, hey, let's say thanks to Beth for what they're going to do. And uh, they can, you're going to be off the table, right? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Per thank you. <laughs> Beth and Dan will be out at the table in the lobby right after the service if you have some questions or want to get signed up for that. Highly, highly, highly encourage that. Hey, let me go to the third thing that God's grace does and where it fills in and becomes greater. God's grace is greater than our inabilities. God's grace is greater than our inabilities. Perhaps, just like she was saying, you don't feel like you can raise your family well, or, or maybe you missed it with the family, now you have grandkids. No, God can still step in. <coughs> Uh, many of you, um, if you are employing people or if you've ever gone on a job interview, know that oftentimes employer will ask the question, what's your greatest weakness? How many of you have been asked that? What, what, what's your greatest weakness? Okay, I will almost guarantee you none of you were honest and blurted out and said, well, I'm a slob or I can't get along with people or I don't do anything that the boss tells me to do. Uh, or I'm a Raiders fan, uh, or, I, I, or, or I'm late to work all the time, or, or, or those kind of things, right? You, you, you don't do that. What do you usually do? You make a weakness look like a strength, don't you? You say, well, you know, I'm a very task-oriented person, and so maybe my relationships aren't always great because I'm onto the task. I'm always trying to get things done. Or, or maybe you say, um, I'm a workaholic, or I'm a little out of balance because I will work for your company so, so hard. Um, and we take something that's really a strength, and we make it sound like a weakness. We disguise our weakness, and we announce our strengths, don't we? We put all the confidence in ourselves, and we don't let people see that we're struggling. In the work world, well, in, in our church, we took our church through strength finders. It finds out, you know, your, your strengths that you have in your life and to build upon those. It identifies the top five. You know what Paul would go after? He would write a new book called Weak Finders. Where's your weaknesses? And they're okay. Celebrate them. Because in your weakness, God's grace steps in. It is, it is kind of counterproductive. It's counterintuitive. But we embrace our weaknesses so that that's where we are going to know in a deeper way God's strength. In fact, I love this verse out of Acts chapter 4. In the early church, 
the church was growing, it was spreading, and Paul, or, or excuse me, Peter and John were excited about their faith, and they were sharing it with anyone and everyone. And look at what the verse says here out of Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, now when they, that is the people, saw them, and saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were, what's the word there? They were what? Uneducated and what? Any of you want to go around talking about how uneducated and common you are? No? I mean, some of you may be here and say, it's always been something I could not get over. That I never passed, got past the eighth grade. Or I never graduated from high school. Or I never went to college. Look at what these guys stepped up in. The people noticed greater things in them because they were uneducated, because they were labeled as common. It says they were astonished, and watch this now, and they recognized that they had been with who? Because of their weakness, because of their commonness, they didn't think, man, that, that shouldn't be going on with people like that. Jesus was elevated. And I would hope and pray that every day you go home here from First Baptist, that you would just radiate because you have been with Jesus. And I hope you drive into your driveway and someone looks over at you and says, man, don't drive a real fancy car there. It's kind of a common car, but man, the joy that goes on inside their house, the neighbor that he has been to me, the friend that they have been, you know, maybe some of you never go on great, great vacations, but, you know, you get alone and you do it with close people. Maybe you go camping instead of doing these wild trips. Some of those things can just allow those faith formation, family traditions to gel and to come about. And some of this simpleness we have in life can allow God to step in all that much greater. You know, one of my uh, good friends, one of the heroes really in my faith in the last number of years, passed away this last week. His name is Glenn Bramlett. I performed his service yesterday at our church, a graveside on uh, Friday, and then his church uh, uh, funeral services on Saturday, yesterday. And, and I say that, that he was kind of a hero of mine because he was just kind of an ordinary, simple guy, or at least that's the way he came across. And in my prayer at the graveside, I even prayed, I said, God, you just don't make him like you used to. He was in his 80s. Great, great guy. Just a humble spirit about him. He would come and he would pray with us every Sunday morning in our welcome center at 7 o'clock. Come in just to make sure we got prayed up, prayed off. Then he would go and he would greet by the door, just quiet, unassuming. He came from the Midwest. He moved his family out here because it was too cold back there in Michigan. Wanted to come out to California. Um, one of the people at the services said, you know, Glenn was on the board of directors for a corporation. And all the other board of directors, people would come through the work and they would just kind of have their nose up a little bit in the air. But Glenn was just normal. He was like one of us. He would just talk and share with the people. Just created, just treated us nicely. And people knew that he was a believer. People knew that he loved Jesus. And it was hard to see him go farther and farther. His ill health and, and, and I visited him at his home in the last few weeks and he was saying, yeah, Pastor, I'm dying. He had his oxygen mask on. His family was there treating him, loving him, caring for him. And here's the last thing that happened before Glenn met Jesus. He was out in his 
family room because they had a bed out there, and his daughter and son, uh, daughter-in-law and son were taking care of him. They had been asleep that day. They woke up the next morning and saw that he was out there, and things weren't going real well. Daughter kind of approached him, was talking to him a little bit, and and um, son came out too, and they were trying to help kind of stretch his body out a little bit to get him as much comfort as possible. They knew the days were short. They stretched out his legs a little bit. were kind of preparing him for, for being able to rest and have comfort about him. And all of a sudden they looked at him, and they saw this look on his face. And he just said the words, oh, boy, and closed his eyes, and he went home to Jesus. And when I was talking with, when I was talking with the family about this, they looked at me, and I looked at them, and they looked at me, and I said, and I bet the next thing he said was, yee-haw. They said, absolutely it was. Because he met Jesus, the last words here on earth, oh boy. And the next words, yeehaw, what a ride that will be. What a ride. And folks, it's not about your greatness in life. It's about elevating Jesus in all that you do and say, Glenn had a great business. Glenn retired at a young age and started up a new business. He didn't want to work for the rest of his life. He wanted to enjoy life. He did it with his son. The, to, to get to share with his family and his friends, and to be a devout Christian man who honored God in his business and his dealings, God honors, ha- God honors that. And God honors us in our weakness as well. Quiet, unassuming, ordinary. We can say maybe we're even uneducated. But it's in those moments, even going through struggles, even going through difficulties, going through infirmities, going through our insecurities, maybe our inabilities. That's when God steps up and God steps in. That's when God shows up and God shows off. It's not about your strength. It's about your weakness. Because we know in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. Amen? Go this week, and may you be weak for the Lord, because his grace will show up. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what our weaknesses do. They allow your spirit to work in our lives in greater ways than we ever could imagine. God, to realize that our weaknesses are where you get to show up and show off. God, to realize that your greatness comes through, not by our measured words, not by our perfect speech or our perfect testimony, but God, even in our weaknesses, we get to show up. We get to show up because we get to show you off. We get to say, yep, I'm not perfect. Yep, I'm forgiven by the one who loves me. So God, my prayer is for anybody who came in here today feeling unappreciated maybe feeling undervalued in life, perhaps feeling like they don't measure up as other people measure up. And God, my prayer is that as they leave this place, that they will understand that it's not about their greatness. It's not about their good looks. It's not about their education. But God, it's about even in our weaknesses that you will be made strong, that your grace is made perfect, that your grace has the opportunity to fill us up in even greater, greater ways. Folks, maybe you're here today. You say, I never saw it quite like that. 
I want to revel in my weaknesses then, like Paul did. Great. Live it out. Live it out. Share your vulnerabilities with others. Talk to them. Pray for them. Come alongside people. Let them know, hey, I don't got this all figured out, but we know one who does. Lord, in our weaknesses, in our vulnerabilities, in our insecurities, may your grace be more powerful in our weaknesses. May your grace show up to fill in the gaps because we don't want to be the ones who get the boasting or the pride or the prejudice or the the good congratulatory type things. Lord, we want you to get all the glory in life. Lord, may it be about you. God, may you be elevated even now as we continue to sing and worship. God, these words are directed towards you. God, this praise is directed at you. We give it to you now, for it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.